This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Bob Comsick. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. There are those who are not opposed to the proposed federal dental plan for children under 12 whose families qualify, those with a household income under 90000 However, they feel the way the money would be distributed would make it open to abuse. Qualifying families would receive up to $650 per child. They'd need to provide Canada Revenue with the name and address of their licensed dentist, as well as the month of the planned appointment. Parents would also need to attest that the child does not have private dental insurance, and they'd need to keep their receipts. Once they do that, they'd get the cash. Libby spoke with Franco Terrazano, director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, as well as NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, whose party made this dental plan a condition for promising not to bring down the Trudeau government before 2025. The most important word right off the top, and it starts with an A, it's a test. And, you know, that's similar to how the CERB worked, where you would have to attest to the CRA that you met all these requirements, and then they would send you the money. But then after, they would check if you're eligible. Right. So, look, be careful, because we're seeing stories now where there's letters being sent out to about 100,000 Canadians saying that they owe money. And some Canadians are owing about $2,000 to pay back and serve. And, you know, I can only imagine uh, some people who may be having a difficult time uh, to be able to afford maybe diapers or formula now having to pay $2,000 back to the government. So be very careful here, because there could be the same issues. Uh, that is happening with CERB. But look, the second, more broader issue here is that I don't think this is really going to help stem inflation. If you send everyone a check that can essentially only be used for dental services, well, then the cost of dental services are going to go up, right? Let me give you another analogy. If you were to send everyone a check and essentially say you can only use it to buy apples, well, it's pretty easy to see how the price of apples are going to go up. So I don't think this is a very serious plan to stem the inflation, which has reached near four decades high. Um, look, I, I tend to think that most Canadians want to play by the rules and don't want to take advantage of the system. Sure, there's always some Canadians or always some people who are going to, and, and the government should go after them for sure. But even with CERB, I think most Canadians probably wanted to do the right thing. But we've, we just saw, I mean, I read a Toronto Star article, I think, from yesterday that shows that there's 100,000 notices going out to Canadians saying, hey, you owe us the money back. So I'm just saying, I'm just telling people, be careful. We are going to bring in Jagmeet Singh, the leader of the NDP. The dental plan was just about the first order of business. And of course, we have a dental plan because you made it a condition of uh, the agreement. Uh, the, the Liberals didn't give you a huge amount of credit for it. No, the, the facts speak for themselves. Just a year ago, the Liberal government voted against our plan to bring in dental care. They also, uh, we also campaigned on it in 2019 and in 2021. So we have two campaigns in a row where we campaigned on it. The Liberals voted against it a year ago, and now it's happening because of us. And we're going to let sure, make sure Canadians know that we've been fighting for them. 
But we also went beyond that and were able to put more money back in people's pockets, more of their own money with the GST rebate that's going to help millions of Canadians with uh, some respect and dignity to be able to afford their groceries. And and then finally, we're getting a rental support for those that are feeling squeezed with the higher cost of rent. We're giving them some more respect as well with uh, a financial support. You're just back to another session, uh, and we're already seeing sparring. Uh, there was a focus on sparring between the new conservative leader, Pierre Poilievre, and the prime minister, uh, and you're out with an attack ad against him. Usually people talk about, you know, splitting votes on the left or leftish, and liberals tend to uh, attack left. But is this time, is he going to be the, the the main stumbling block for you? Well, what makes us different is, you know, our attacks or our critiques are with the goal of making sure people get some benefit or we benefit people with better policies. And I feel like that's going to be the real distinguishing point. When you hear Paul Yev or Justin Trudeau, when they attack, they seem to be attacking just for the sake of it. Uh, liberals hate conservatives just because they're conservative. Conservatives hate liberals because they're liberal. We're actually pointing out problems with the decisions that he's making or policies he's making because they hurt people. When he voted against minimum wage going up, that hurts workers. When he says that workers can't retire with dignity and have to wait till they're older, that hurts people that have been working their whole lives. And so our focus is really on targeting how decisions made or policies being presented by either Justin Trudeau or uh, Pierre Polyev hurt people and how we want to actually put forward things that make people's lives better. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh and Franco Terrazano, director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. This is Zuma Radio's Best to Fight Back. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. Has inflation got you cutting back on groceries or changing what you buy? A new survey finds one in four is doing just that, with food inflation around 11%. It also found some surprising things people are doing to cope. Libby caught up with Janet Music, Research Program Coordinator at the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Anyone who's been at the grocery store in the last year or so would recognize that price prices are through the roof. Um, and so we've all kind of taken our own way of adapting. And, and a lot of people are using loyalty uh, programs or, or checking flyers more often. But there is a portion of the population that is skipping meals or foregoing food because it's just too expensive to buy. And that is very concerning. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the top of your list, though, was using more loyalty program points. I was a little surprised by that. And first, first of all, you've got to spend money to accrue those loyalty points. Well, you know, it's, that's true. But, you know, we all have to eat. So, you know, we're spending that money anyway. And so I think people are just trying to take advantage of any extras that they can, they can get for their grocery bill in the first place. And so, you know, there's a lot of debate whether those loyalty points are worth, worth the time and effort. That's a different conversation for a different day, I think, but certainly people uh, perceive it to be helpful, and so they're using it. And uh, reading the weekly flyers much more often, well, it makes sense to do that, you know, whether you're cash-strapped or not. That's true, and, you know, that's a generational you know, passed down from generations. And I can remember my grandmother sitting at the kitchen table and going through the flyers. 
that just really makes sense in terms of home economics. And, you know, with prices the way they are, you know, we have to go through flyers from different retailers and, and compare prices and try and get the best prices that we can wherever we can. There are some products that it's like, whoa, when did this, you know, go up 50%? Why is that? Is that a question of transportation? Is that supply chain? If something is scarce, well, let's put up the price. What's going on with some of these items? Well, I think, you know, it's important to point out that Food price inflation is actually up in the Western world, you know, across the globe. And so Canada at 10%, that's really high. That's actually not the highest on the planet. There are other countries that are experiencing a faster rate uh, and higher rates of food price inflation. Now, that doesn't give us much comfort when we're at the grocery store, of course, but it's it's a global phenomenon and and it's it's you know you mentioned the supply chain the supply chain is complicated you know we think about farmers grow a carrot carrot gets on the truck truck deposits the carrot on a shelf at the store but in fact there are many stops along the line that include many many different types of jobs and even industries and if those industries are disrupted in any way, uh, that means that the supply chain is disrupted and it it does impact prices. You know, you can get berries and and flash frozen fruit and vegetables last in your freezer for a good time and they're just as nutritious and quite a bit cheaper. And so in in food deserts where people aren't lucky enough or, or fortunate enough to be close to grocery stores, they do end up um you know, frequent in these kind of places that do are, are high in saturated fats, high in salt, and are really detrimental to health. And so frozen is one of those kind of uh, workarounds that people can do if they have room in their freezer. What's the bottom line on this new survey and what you're telling people? The food bank issue is is a serious one. And as as prices rise for food, Donations to food banks go down. And because there is a subsection of our society that's skipping meals, you know, it's really important that we continue to donate to help our community members because they are hurting on all sides. Janet Music, Research Program Coordinator at the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. I'm Bob Comsick, and this is Zuma Radio's Best to Fight Back. Coming up after the break, FOOP is in... FOMO's out. What they stand for and why you should know next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Bob Comsick on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Considering there's less than a month now until municipal elections across Ontario, Libby wanted to get a sense of what to make of the campaign from Fightback's Tune Into the Town panel, former Toronto Mayor David Crombie, Councillor James Pasternak of Ward 6 York Centre, and Lauren O'Neill, Senior News Editor of Blog TO. Now, housing's probably one of the top issues, and there's one sure sign prices are falling. FOOP is replacing FOMO, as Lauren explains. 
Swoop is a new term coined by a local real estate brokerage and analysis firm called Zucasa that means fear of overpaying. So FOMO, I mean, coined in the mid audies is fear of missing out, kind of kept people from staying in and getting rest because they didn't want to miss anything. Now, F-O-O-P, FOOP, is a bit different. It's what uh, analysts are describing as the phenomenon of people holding back from buying homes because they're seeing housing prices tank. And I mean, if you had bought a home a year and a half ago in Toronto or any of the suburbs, I mean, your investment would have gone down by now. So I think a lot of people now are like, oh, the bubble's bursting. We don't necessarily want to buy now because they think the prices might slide more. So fear of overpaying is keeping a lot of buyers on the sidelines right now is what surveys have shown. James Pasternak, so are you seeing that easing in your part of the city? And on the other side of it, we've seen numbers uh, about the number of people who uh, are either uh, paying too much of their income for rent uh, and they're overcrowded and also in places that need repairs. Uh, what's your view of that, James? Yeah, there seems to be there seems to be a softening of single family detached uh, houses uh, and uh, an uptick in uh, condominiums and of course rental costs. It's important to remember that uh, if people are foops, I guess fear of overpaying, uh, the principal residence is the perhaps the only investment one can actually live and enjoy in uh, while you're paying it off. Um, the other thing you have to calculate is what it's going to cost you to wait out the market. Are you going to sit in a rental at four thousand, three, four thousand a month, you know, for four or five years while you while you wait for the market to uh, to soften a little bit? And there's a cost uh, to that as well. The other thing is, you know, while while interest rates have been ticking up historically, they still remain very low. I would have begged for these interest rates when my wife and I bought our first Toronto home in the mid eighties. Mm. <laughs> at one point. At one point, our um, our mortgage was was worth uh, more than the house itself. But we we hung on for for over ten years, and it's uh, it gained its value back. Uh, and that's that's what people have to do: make their own calculus. Maybe we have to change the mindset about renting. I mean, you're talking about throwing money away. There are a lot of places where people rent and they rent forever and and there are advantages to that. And David, maybe it's just a mindset that has to change. May have to change, but it's interesting to me to note that the percentage of rental rental has not changed very, very much. It is going to uh, with the price of housing being so high, ownership housing, uh, is placing a great strain uh, on rental prices as well. And that's what you're going to see in the, in the immediate future. Well, yeah, rental prices have already started to creep up. Uh, and maybe creep is the wrong word, Lauren. <laughs> skyrocket is more no. like it, as we like to say. Um, we, I think we saw rental prices dip a lot during the pandemic because a lot of people were leaving town, especially in one bedrooms. And now, uh, by most accounts, by most analyses, um, they are higher now than they were before the pandemic. Um, average rent prices in the city, I think 2300 for an average apartment or condo rental in the city. So I do agree that like, you know, I think I'm in one of those positions where I would at this point, like, be happy to rent for life. I mean, it, there are other ways to make money on investments. Um, and, and maybe you're right. The mindset kind of around that needs to change. Property is obviously a solid and reliable investment. But in the meantime, when we aren't having opportunities to invest in property, maybe, you know. It, it, it's it's a place you live. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, we're very fortunate. My husband and I, we have a home, but we're not leaving 
I mean, I know a lot of people think of it as a way to finance your retirement, but I also don't get uh, why would you want to leave your comfortable home just when you're going to be at home more often? Doesn't make sense to me at all. I I agree with that. Lauren O'Neill, senior news editor of BlogTO, David Crombie, former Toronto mayor, Councillor James Pasternak of Ward 6 York Centre. Fightbacks, tune into the town panel. This is Zuma Radio's Best to Fight Back. I'm Bob Komsik for Jane Brown. Western leaders at the 77th Annual UN General Assembly used the opportunity to slam Vladimir Putin's latest salvos in his war on Ukraine. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and others pledged to maintain support for Ukraine in the face of the Russian president's threats to use nuclear weapons and his partial military mobilization and planned annexation of more parts of Ukraine. Phil Vashilevsky, a Templeton Fellow at the Foreign Policy Research Institute, and Dr. Paul Good, Macmillan Chair in Russian Studies at Carleton University, joined Libby. The announcement, I think, was was largely expected. I, I don't think it came as a shock or a surprise, at least to the Kremlin. Um, I think probably there were other things that were a bit more distressing that happened in the previous week, really, which involved more the treatment that Putin received from his erstwhile allies in the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, and the gradual sort of hemorrhaging of influence, uh, Russia's influence in Eurasia, where previously it had been more or less, uh, you know, a key peacekeeper, if not a hegemonic force in the area, that's dwindling. And especially Russia's relationship with China has to be especially concerning to the Kremlin today. Phil Vashilevsky, one of the interpretations you hear is that uh, Putin's latest moves are the sign of desperation. Uh, There are reports that a lot of people are trying to get out of the Soviet Union. You can't get a flight to Georgia, even though it costs a fortune. Uh, What do you make of those reports, Dr. Good? Well, it is very clearly a sign of desperation. Uh, And it's it's reinforced really by both the battlefield reversals that Russia has suffered, as well as the geopolitical losses that have suffered in recent weeks. And there's clearly growing pressure, I think, within the Kremlin uh, to escalate at the same time that there's an awareness that there's a real risk at uh, popular backlash if there is a widespread mobilization. So this partial mobilization is probably a solution that satisfies nobody. It doesn't satisfy, you know, the army. And the reason the actual numbers for the call-up actually were were classified. They're treated as the state secrets, and nobody knows exactly how many are going to be called up, even though publicly uh, Putin and Defense Minister Shoigu claim to be 300,000. The fact that that has been declared secret and has not been leaked, though, is already causing uh, problems for the, for the regime domestically. Mm-hmm. And uh, Phil Vashilevsky, is there are there any signs that uh, people inside Russia are getting sick of this, in your opinion? Uh, yes, there is. The, the Russians have a almost a Janus-based uh, approach towards this war. Uh, most of them, uh, up until a couple of weeks ago, and certainly the ultranationalists, want to win this war uh, unfor- and certainly don't want to lose it. Unfortunately, very few Russian men wish to fight in it. And in that case, Putin is, is very much trapped because the amount of losses he has taken from his army, he needs to basically create an entirely new army. However, there is right now no desire for people to volunteer, and we will see if we will even be able to conscript enough people uh, to fill the ranks of the, uh, the casualties that he suffered. We should also take note that this is not the end of it. 
although the Russians have retreated from the Izium area and lost a large amount of heavy equipment there. There is still a large part of the Russian army on the north bank of the Dnieper River in Erkersan, approximately 15,000 men, and the Ukrainians have destroyed the bridges across the river there. So that force is trapped, and even if they can get back across the river, uh, which is a big if, they will lose all their heavy equipment. So things are going to get even worse for Putin in the next few weeks regarding the state of his army in uh, Ukraine. Anything uh, to add as we look ahead, Dr. Good? One thing that is abundantly clear is that this call-up is not going to do anything to improve morale. In fact, it's likely to to worsen things, given that people who soldiers who are already on contract have had their contracts extended indefinitely now until the end of the mobilizational period. And you have reports out today now of, you know, as much as 10% of entire villages from Russia's ethnic republics being rounded up for conscription. And that is potentially uh, uh, deadly for the army's morale going forward. Uh, so even if Russia is able to supply it, it's hard to imagine sustaining anything other than perhaps you know, staffing the rear um, or even perhaps occupation forces in the, the territories after referenda. But uh, it means it's going to be a long slot, but inevitably a very difficult one for Russia to be able to maintain any sort of foothold. Dr. Paul Good, Macmillan Chair in Russian Studies at Carleton University, and Phil Vashalevsky, a Templeton Fellow at the Foreign Policy Research Institute. I'm Bob Komsik, and you're listening to The Best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Bob Comsick. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics, and we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Sean in Burlington has a concern about the proposed dental plan and having to make a choice between it and food prices. It seems they're going at it very fast. I, I like to see people get coverage, but the speed is concerning. And the other question is, what are private insurance companies going to do now? Are they going to say, well, you're covered by the government, so we no longer are going to cover your kids and still reap the benefits of private insurance? I hope it works out, and I hope people are are better off and served. I do worry about the speed and the efficiency. And if I was hungry and I had to choose between food for my family and dental care, with that money, I would take the food, right? Kathy in Mississauga explained how she shops. I'm, I'm an avid. I literally go through every flower, flyer every week. Um, and, I mean, now there isn't so many. So for anybody that's less fortunate that don't have iPad or something, then you're really lost. And, yes, a lot of things has more than doubled. Um, I just realized on the weekend I needed crackers, and I use Premium Plus. I used to get them for five twenty nine. They're now anywhere from six forty nine wow. up to eight ninety nine, and eight ninety nine is at uh, Loblaw stores. Brian in Brampton has a theory about rising prices. I'd like to point out that part of our inflation problem is caused by these rewards programs that different companies run. They have to raise their prices to cover those PC points or whatever they're called, the air miles. If you can fly somewhere on air miles or exchange it for some other good or product. That's the same as money, and that's causing inflation. 
Like so many, Deborah Natobico says the prices have forced her to pass on some items. I was out shopping last night and I needed green onions for a recipe and they were Mm $1.67. And I decided to pass because I know that the store I'd gone to the day before were selling them for 79 cents. And the other thing I find that I've got an adult son now living with me and uh, we go through bread. You know, he has his bread, I have my bread. And the bread is like $12 a week just for bread. And I, so I decided that I was going to bake bread, so I've been doing that now. Joseph in Toronto can't figure why anyone would pay that much for bread. You could do a lot. I mean, watch all those specialty. You were talking about bread earlier. There's a place in Thornhill. For heaven's sake, they're selling a loaf of bread for $12. That's ridiculous. But, um, you know, shop at the uh, less-known stores. Uh, there's lots of great sales out there. Change your diet, eat less meat, and stop eating so frequently at restaurants. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week is Ron in Guelph, who called about Prime Minister Trudeau singing in London ahead of the Queen's state funeral. You know, this is such a trivial thing. I'm not a great fan of Justin Trudeau's policies, but uh, something was lost in this thing, and it was alluded to with the Queen and Paddington Bear, that she herself had a great sense of humor. So I can't see that she would have disapproved of this. And as I said, it's the British press that's making a big deal out of this, and that should be the end of it. That does it for this week's Best to Fight Back on Zuma Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us from noon to one weekdays, or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca, follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby, and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend when we'll round up the best to fight back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.